got like 10 studs in Dubai now. That was 4.6 million actually. Okay, well, Get 10 to Asia to race Lamborghini Hurricane. But I looked, it was around quarter of a mil. 20k sales, 30. <laughs> Wild! Yeah, it's bread! Everyone, welcome back to the Saddle Podcast. Today we've got Mike here. Um, tell us a little bit about yourself, mate. You know, what you do? And um, yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, thanks for having me, guys. Obviously, I've been a big fan of the uh, the podcast as well as the community for a long time now. So it's actually quite surreal to be actually here in the flesh and seeing the lads that made it all happen. But yeah, so story really, I guess, you know, in terms of the CCN involvement, it's probably been going on for the last couple of years or so. I've kind of dovetailed in and out of it, obviously having quite a busy kind of commitments with career and other projects. Then I tend to, you know, I've been back more recently, as you would expect, with a big push to Q4. But I think the sort of background behind it was predominantly I started at a time pretty much in the thick of COVID, as I'm sure most people yeah. did, actually, mm-hmm. to be honest. Um, my background before that, you know, uh, I think my family very much referred to me as a bit of a Adele boy of sorts. You know, I've <laughs> got my finger in a lot of pies and try and diversify the income streams really into as much as I can, as I'm sure it becomes more prominent for people to do so nowadays with the cost of living and stuff, right? Can't just be relying on one thing. And I guess to maybe even take it before then, then, you know, I've always been into sort of the whole wheeling and dealing scenario ever yeah. since I was a kid, you know, we grew up in a sort of very sort of poor environment in Venezuela, sort of, I've, I was born there back in 86. So surprise for people that think I look 20, I'm not. (laughs) Uh, But yeah, born in 86 out in Venezuela. Um, Mom and dad used to, you know, be quite affluent couple. Uh, Dad used to be a commercial airline pilot. Mom used to be a professional chef. So quite an eclectic mix. And, um, you know, it's a good good upbringing, don't get me wrong. It's a third world country quite heavily associated with a lot of kind of stereotypes like kidnapping and, you know, like sort of socialism and things like this. But... The reality was, obviously, we were quite guarded away from that, from having a good upbringing and our dad having a good career. Yeah. But then the reality was that outside of that kind of environment, it actually used to be quite a uh, dangerous country to live to live yeah. in. You know, sort of very corrupt and so forth. How, and how long did you live there for? So born and raised and lived there for about 12 years before we then made the move to the UK, which was heavily dictated by circumstances, right? Again, collapsing economy, mm-hmm. um, very politically unstable. And then at the time, my dad actually lost his. It, well, he became diabetic, and yeah. as you, as, as I'm sure most people will be aware, you know, it's a very sort of dangerous thing to have a pilot with that could potentially yeah. spasm into yeah, a yeah. fit whilst he's thirty eight thousand yeah. feet, right? It's not ideal, is it? Which is not great things, but you know, as a result of that, and obviously all the circumstances happening in the country, then my parents thought it'd be a good idea for my twin brother and I for us to obviously move because my dad's British, my mom's Latin, right? Mm-hmm. So we've got half of our family split between the two countries, and they thought that to give us a better upbringing, it'd be a chance for us to kind of escape all that kind of escalating tension in the yeah. country and come to the UK, which is probably a good thing we did really, because had it not been for that, um, it wouldn't have given us, my brother and I the platform that we've had obviously in essence in the last sort of 20 or so years to grow into the opportunities that we've got into, right? Because as you would imagine, growing up in a Western country, developed country like the UK versus South America is two very different extremes. and. Yeah, yeah, very lucky for that, really, because I still got cousins and family out there that are still very doing, you know, really struggling, right? So, yeah. very fortuitous to be here, and you know, brings us to more current day, right? So, come to the UK when we were sort of twelve, and 
you know, when, when you moved to the UK, did you speak English as well? Or? No. Uh, surprisingly, considering that the accent that I carry now, which I'm hoping you can edit uh, to get rid of the brominess, <laughs> but uh, yeah, <it's> strong. <laughs> basically, we came here in the summer of '97, and it's the case of lads. You know, you've got the summer holidays basically to learn English. And that must have been tough. Well, my my, my grasp of English was hello, or in, in my pronunciation, my there was hello. <laughs> it's like, you know, really, really poor executions. But, you know, um, our parents actually sent us alone because uh, it would be then a further three years before we saw them again because oh, okay. they had to obviously f- tie off all the ends and, you know, wrap everything up in South America. But we moved in my nan and granddad out in the Midlands in um, a place called Stourbridge, like quite close to like Dudley, yeah. Wolverhampton, mm-hmm. Birmingham. And it was quite lucky for the fact that they lived in a very sort of nice cul-de-sac, but it had about 25 houses, of which about 10 of them had kids our okay. age. So our summer holidays was pretty much spent, uh, basically, walking around in the cul-de-sac in the summer, playing with all these kids, but then my brother and I walking out with our little English dictionaries. <laughs> so, <laughs> That's crazy. Like, honestly, every That's time insane. we got told a word, it's like, oh, I don't understand that. So we're literally walking around with like, a portable dictionary saying, what does tree mean? Oh, okay, yeah, I got that. Yeah. That's <laughs> mental, man. we were playing hide and seek and yeah. hiding in trees. So it's like they say, go hide in that tree. Like, what is a tree? So <laughs> I was like, guess on trees. <laughs> what is a tree? It's like, yeah. And it just be, but mate, imagine having Google Translate back then. That would have been useful. Yeah, yeah. 100%. <laughs> so easy now. And uh, so we did three years with them, went to school in the fall. And it was kind of like, you know, these guys were predicted. We, we went from year four in, the UK, in South America to year six. Mm-hmm. So we jumped two academic years, obviously, just because of the way the schooling system works. And it was just a case of, oh, you get predicted scores for your, uh, your SATs yeah. back then. And it was just, oh, these guys are going to struggle because they haven't got the grasp of the language. And the one thing that kind of instilled a kind of drive in me then is just being told that you were going to fail. Yeah. Just, you know, I'm a victim of circumstance, but I didn't want to that, let that define me ultimately. Mm-hmm. So they're saying, oh, these, you know, these guys would be lucky to get twos and threes. It's, it's a shame because they're smart, but it's just obviously the language, I think. And for me, that kind of very much installed a drive to say, I want to overturn that perception. 100%. And uh, luckily, we ended up coming out with fives and sixes. That's really good wow. as well. That's like top tier stats, really. Which was good, I think, more so for the fact that what actually bowed in our favour and put us in a good stead is that all the actual content was actually far less of what we were we were learning the stuff that we were already doing year six here in south america we we're doing it two years prior really all we had to do was just grasp the language and we could actually apply yeah, yeah. the theory much easier because we already knew it so how long was it till you fully understood english and could speak it properly i think by the by the time the first sort of half term came in the winter i think we were pretty much there or thereabouts i think nah, that's pretty because we were te- i think we were 11 12 or, no no sorry we would have been 10 actually just before, just before high school so we, we we sponged it up pretty quick mm-hmm. um and quite happy that we didn't do it in a way that obviously cause my mom actually she's been speaking English for 30 years but she's like 65 now but her English is quite broken yeah and so it's my aunties and so forth that I've moved subsequently since but yeah because they've learned it at a much later age so obviously you can tell that these guys are from a different country because it's heavily accentuated whereas with us obviously we've just kind of embedded into the local sort yeah. of like accent really so it took about six months basically give or take to then we were pretty much yeah. fluid and that's quick the rest was just learning actual words through English class, as you would English yeah, language, yeah. basically, just to develop then and just surrounding yourselves constantly with people. And um, that was it, really. I think once we got to that point, then it was just kind of like high school, then growing our, our friendship circles. And 
you know, just trying to embed ourselves into everyday English life and embracing the culture, really, because obviously it was yeah. a very stark contrast to where we're used to, you know, hot yeah. weather, living on the beach, gated community with a pool. We almost went a little bit from like a, a riches to rag story because we had a very affluent upbringing, but then mm. because of obviously my dad losing his job and then having to restart over, you know, translate lifestyle of a third world country into a westernized and call it inflation or what you will, but it just doesn't translate yeah, to the same, 100%, right? Yeah, yeah. So we did kind of really lose everything because... Subsequently, six months after we moved, they had all the national. Uh, there was a very big, massive issue in Venezuela whereby there was m- massive, like natural disasters, mudslides. Over like Crazy. a quarter of a million people died in the state <laughs> we were living in. So we pretty much dodged a bullet, yeah, metaphorically yeah. and physically, like, in some respects. And you know, having to deal with all that transition was hard, right? And it's we. All that happened in Venezuela. As a result, we lost all our assets. My, obviously, my parents had had houses, apartments. All of that went in the slides and Crazy. the mudslides and whatever else, obviously, then got lost. And yeah. the government swallowed it up anyway. Pensions got lost and the, the government took everything, really. So we had to start from ground zero back in the UK. So we didn't have anything of what we've got. So in essence, it's really kind of, it's the sort of stuff that will ultimately make you sink or swim and put some hairs on your chest, right? Because mm-hmm. you've got two options. You can either embrace the fact that you've got nothing and that's just going to be your reality or you fight hard for obviously wanting the things that you want. You ultimately going to have to work for it. And that's what it became. You know, we living in the UK, went to university down in South London. Um, and off the back of that, then really just kind of kicked on, really. Yeah. Did, what, what did you study in university? Things that you really that you don't really need to. It's business and finance yeah. and I cheated a little bit. I did languages as well. I never told them I spoke Spanish. So. <laughs> just just so in case I need to basically supplement my credits, basically. So I had Spanish in the back yeah. pocket. 100% on that. <laughs> that's a, it was that's a bit a of a... Well, all, all my mates still give me grief. Now it's like saying, you're the only guy that I know that failed Spanish by getting 98% and failed it because you failed it on attendance. <laughs> oh my God, really? It's a funny one, really, because it's like... You have to basically. I think ten percent of the grade it's predicated on the fact that yeah, you have to be there for ex- well for most of the lectures, right? And I just mm-hmm. say, yeah, I don't need to be there. And they said, you know, you can't have a fluent, you can't be fluid in the language if you obviously want to take a Spanish course or a French, whatever, whatever language mm-hmm. you take, you can't, you just can't be fluid. Yeah. And I, they just said I need that in the back pocket just in case I decide to get too drunk consistently basically <laughs> through freshers and whatever else and come year three that's actually the year that ultimately accounted for the bulk of your grade yeah and i did get ended up getting 98 percent. and they said to me you don't speak spanish you're not from a spanish country are you sure it's like why he <laughs> said well we've reviewed back your oral exam um obviously it's recorded and a lot of the words that came out of your final obviously presentation were native slang words to Venezuelan countries, <laughs> which are only yeah. So, yeah. The, 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 so you basically so how do you go from getting C's, B's, D's throughout the semester to then landing a ninety eight percent studying? <laughs> <laughs> Literally, I had nothing. Right. So I had to go through a, basically. I had to, they had to like pull me into a review panel to actually say, "Well, does this guy?" Yeah. Actually, you know, oh, it was a, did he like let it, let the grade go through in the end? Or? In the end, it did go through, mate. After a lot of convincing, but it could have yeah, just lying square to him. Could have cost him the yeah. degree. Yeah, and I mean, if they see this now, then I'm sorry. Or <laughs> <laughs> what is the what happens now if they see this? Can't take it off, you can yeah, they? Just, well, luckily, luckily, I'm still, I do. I run my own businesses, yeah. so they're not going to take my job away from me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No. but you anyway, we'll, we'll fast forward from there. Like, so you know, when he was going for uni and stuff like that, did you have any idea of like you know? what you wanted to do like in terms of you know like making money job wise i think all I, that kind of stuff 
Yes and no. I think when I graduated, it was back in 2009, which ultimately became the height of the credit crunch. So yeah. I, I, I already worked for a, a retail job at T-Mobile, what used to be, it's now EE. And I was actually already accepted into their graduate scheme, ironically okay. enough, in their head office, which was over, over the road from our campus in Hertfordshire. And that I lost that as a result of the credit crunch. And, you know, that, that graduate scheme got scrapped from 30 intakes to about five. And yeah. I wasn't one of the five, unfortunately. Um, sidetrack a little bit onto that. I was actually trying to get involved with different projects. I did my actual, my um, <laughs> final dissertation on the rise of alternative financial technologies and cryptocurrencies. Would you believe? Really? And that's when Bitcoin would probably would have been like sub $1. Wow. Literally. And this guy didn't Did have you enough. know about like crypto and stuff Well, like I just started hearing about it. And yeah. You know, you hear things about alternative forms of payment and how the world's going to digitize its currencies and stuff. And that was obviously, you know, blockchain. Mm-hmm. That was like 12, 13 years ago, right? And this guy who did a dissertation on that didn't think to invest even a hundred pounds in it because for me that was Nando's oh, that's and, a killer that was Nando's money right yeah, that, was, yeah. that was beans and toast and oh, mate, even if I'd have put that any level of investment on that I would have been well what, I'd be running this podcast wouldn't I yeah, <laughs> not, not being even a guest if you put like a hundred pound in mate it'd have been a millions mate hundred percent but I didn't have a clue mate to be honest I think the thing was back then you know it was still very sort of antiquated in the sense that you go to uni you graduate you get yeah. a good job and there wasn't as much as, you know, the, Facebook was really sort of coming into its own back in 2008. Yeah. You know, when I was at uni, it was called really kicking off into its own thing. So we couldn't have leveraged the opportunities that are readily available now through socials like you probably would back then. Yeah. So I would just, in my head, I was just going to go and try and get a good job. And the next best thing to obviously losing the grad scheme at um, in telecommunications for me was looking at something that was going to be future-proof, which was tech. Uh, my uncle actually worked at the time at uh, Hewlett-Packard. And, yeah. uh, which people now know as HPE, Hewlett Packard Enterprise. And he got me into their grad scheme. And again, there was two options. He said, you can either go work for those guys or you could go for work for one of their partners, their resellers, Yeah, which is not as big on your CV, but it would give you more of a grounding and an understanding of that sort of kind of the, the technology industry as a whole. And for me, it made it made sense because I think I saw how affluent my life, that lifestyle my uncle used to have, you know, always had like really nice Mercedes, Audis and... All these things that people have when they're 15 yeah. now, not when they're like 35. But mm-hmm. at the time, obviously, it was a big thing. And I thought, you know, he has got a really nice house, great lifestyle. I want to have that. So if I don't want to be a doctor or that sort of thing, then the next best thing, you know, tech people that work in tech are earning footballer money. Yeah, 100%. You know, like commissions, it's, it's, all, it's all dictated on, you know, you make your own luck because well, the more you sell, the more you get paid. And all the retail jobs that I've had were always commission-based. So I always had this whole thing instilled that I want to be able... If I can't have my own business, I would have been in control of my own earning potential. And tech sales was able to give me that. And that's how I ended up basically graduating. And I did go for the smaller reseller and ended up working there for a few years and met who is now uh, a chap that I still work with now, sort of 15 years later. Yeah. And he's my business partner in a tech firm that we've just set up in the yeah, last three oh, years. Cool. So what do you do for your tech firm and stuff like that? So at the moment, it's a little bit of everything, really. So the company is called Etage, and that business is it's actually the word, the French word for floor. Yeah. And obviously, it has some affiliations with cloud as well. Obviously, cloud technology being yeah. a massive thing now, as I'm sure everyone is aware of. But in essence, we are an extension of the big vendors, right? What we do is actually resell technology, so like inf- corporate infrastructure, yeah, like hardware, so like servers, storage, networking 
But we do that with a myriad of different software houses, working in collaboration with people like Microsoft, VMware, Oracle, Citrix. Yeah. And what we do is basically solve business problems for technologies that have obviously got challenges in their technology department. And we, you know what we do, if we come and see a customer and we understand that they've got X, Y and challenges through the provisioning of their infrastructure, then we look to solve it by through technology outcomes, yeah. basically. Uh, consulting, you know, we actually do a little bit of recruitment into facilitating shortages of skill sets for people to deliver technical projects. And we do hosting and manage services for people that obviously don't want to buy their own IT, but we can run that on their behalf. Yeah. So, mm -hmm. and it's uh, again, you know, a really good place to be in technology is always going to be a future proof like yeah. space really. Yeah. So how did you even like go and start with the boss? Obviously he was working at like HP and well, like, you know, an affiliation of them, you know, how did it actually come around though? Like, how did the conversation go down between like starting that and, you know? Yeah. So once I finished obviously working my first thing where I met him, um, literally I'm, you know, because they were a smaller reseller, I always had the aspiration to kind of go back to see what was on the other side of the coin. Yeah. Uh, which was the bigger vendor and you know kind of experienced both sides of the coin you know the regional the sort of smaller firms as well as also the big corporates and try that angle um and as a result of that then i did a few years with him and then i thought you know what i'm gonna go and see what it's like on the other side basically see what i was missing yeah. you know is the grass greener basically you know yeah, you're still yeah, a young yeah. lad in your early 20s and you think could the grass be green and nine times out of ten you're learning life that it always isn't <laughs> And because um, I had a great time working with those, you know, with those guys at OCSL and it was, you know, very sort of work hard, play hard mentality, you know, a lot of incentives, very sort of Wolf of Wall Street style, yeah. of, you know, yeah. you get Lamborghinis for weekends if you do like hit your targets. And I, I mean, we didn't toss midges on dartboards, but it was the closest <laughs> thing you'll get to yeah. doing it legally, right, yeah. I guess. And that sort of stuff, you know, it was a really good environment, very sort of heavily like encouraged to kind of have healthy competition. And I thought, I've done that for a few years, kind of what's it like doing it for HP and you know I ended up working for a company called Symantec which most of us all who consume their Norton antivirus or McAfee yep. mm -hmm. you know it's Norton antivirus and did cyber security at a time that was actually really good and the UK when GDPR was coming to full fruition for protecting customer data yep and um, again so progressed through that had a couple of pre-IPO like you know companies that maybe that you get stock investment yep and the attractive thing about those that like, potentially like if you're getting at the bottom and you get enough stock and they do go public then they can obviously like you know you get a big chunk of cash out of that unfortunately i had three options on the table one of the options i had was a company that got acquired by sales salesforce the other one actually did ipo and then the one that i joined tanked oh, <laughs> so, stinker. but they're all they're all they're all these things like, pretty yeah, hindsight, isn't it? yeah yeah the, the, a lot of risk but there's always they're always gambles but the upside of that is that if it does go the way that you want it to, it can be mm -hmm. very lucrative, but it didn't. And having done that for a few years, then obviously having left Rob and OCSL, which is obviously where I was, I felt a little bit kind of, I guess not disillusioned, but a little bit kind of lost in the industry and just kind of losing the appetite for it. And I started sort of thinking back as to what made me sort of hungry and what made me most happy and where was I working most kind of successfully. And it was in that environment whereby the corporate stuff is very sort of restrictive. There's a lot of red tape and a lot of process. And mm -hmm. what I like is being more entrepreneurial, more sort of free flowing and having more kind of- Bit More creative. You know, yeah, exactly. Yeah. Being able to yeah, be more, take more risk. Yeah, be yeah. more creative and try different things, but without having to follow so much process. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. when you work for these big corporates, you have to do so much cadence, you have to do reporting, updating your forecast, all this sort of stuff. It's, 
it's admin stuff. Oh, yeah. That, is it? yeah, you want to be doing the actual stuff that makes you money, which is the selling, right? Not the updating your spreadsheet so your boss can report back to his boss and mm-hmm. then subsequently update. Yeah. It wasn't for me. I did it for about five, six, seven years. And I was just, you know what? I need to think of something different to do. And, you know, that's when I started looking at alternative ways of actually making money. And I'll come back to obviously how I ended up working, setting up this tech company now, because actually Robert had already set it up you know, sometime before I joined, but obviously I got invited to then obviously come and develop that with him at a later point. So that was actually started three years ago, but I've just been invited recently in the last six months. But then in between that space, I've, you know, still doing working tech in the background. I started sort of doing the whole research piece as to how we can make more side income and doing things that you prefer doing. Like, you know, the things that I like to do when I was at school, like trading Pokemon cards, um, trading, you know, selling sweets. Yeah, Yeah. so we'll take it back to there, like, you know, was you entrepreneurial in like your younger years? And like you said, then you're selling Pokemon cards. How did that even come mate, about? Mate, 100%. Yeah, absolutely. So even in Venezuela, mate, the, the, the thing that kind of got me kickstarted into that sort of trading and, you know, leveraging services and that sort of stuff was, you don't remember the odd Pogs and Tazos and things like that that used to like get in crisp packets, the little cir- circular things like that. No. They, they, <laughs> no idea. No and idea, they're mate. in shows my age, I guess. But, you know, when I was at school in South America, those are a very big thing. They're like little like plastic little like cup thing. Like you basically slam them against each other and you like twist them over and you used to win them off people. Yeah. And we used to either play for them, we used to trade them. And I just became a bit of a, as I say, like a wheeler and dealer. Because I used to base my dad, used to, like I said, I used to take my dad to like a macro in Venezuela and said, so like, just buy me these, um, buy me all these crisp bags. It's like buying hundreds of bags because everyone contained a single one. And I used to come into school basically to sell them, sell them, trade them, play them. And I used to cheat. Like obviously, these things used to be like you have to make the whole point is that you basically slap them off the ground. If you twist them over, you you take them off the person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But there's a obviously if you're flat on the ground, they're hard to flip over. So I used to like just put a little stone underneath and just to make sure that it's on a, on an angle, so I could yeah. like flip them every time. <laughs> just quality. Se- secure the bag when I was like seven years old. <laughs> the bag. That's mad. So that kind of kickstarted it all. Then obviously, when we moved to the UK, then how much of it? Well, let's go back to that. how much thing you was making from like selling these. Whatever. This is all like, yeah, yeah. So, mate, to be fair, the point it's Venezuelan believers, but that that's probably one of the most devalued like, yeah, yeah, currencies yeah. in the world. So, Nothing. if we're translating it in dollars loosely, like a few dollars a day, like five, five, yeah, ten dollars yeah, yeah. a day. When I was like seven, that's bucks. That's mega bucks for a seven-year-old. Yeah. It's like dad, pocket money now. So I got my own cash. <laughs> so, I've just been like fleecing the school. <laughs> so, like, like you, yeah. And I did end up in the principal's office like a couple of times. Uh, well, the headmaster's office, obviously they call them principals in America, but it's like, yeah. what, are you, what are you doing every day? It's like you're supposed to be at school and you're, all you're worried about. It's like, you, I used to come with like a little like bum bag, like you see all these guys in Ibiza with, yeah. like bum bag, but mine was full of cash. <laughs> and I was just like, what, what was all this money come from? It's like, oh, just selling crisps. But that was my, that was my front. I was yeah. selling like crisps because I actually sold the crisps, but then, because they used to be attached on the outside, I used to take them off and sell the crisps. Oh, oh man, that's a double so, whammy, so, so, man. <laughs> so it was literally, that That was kind of like, yeah. So it small fry stuff in the grand scheme of things, but at, relative yeah. to me at the time, I thought I was just like an absolute gangster at the time. Yeah. I was yeah. just so, thinking I'm like the go-to guy. <laughs> sick, sick. So from there, you know, would you like, have you been like flipping things your whole life, like on the side, like doing like wheel and deal and stuff? Like what else would you Pretty much, mate, at uni, well, I mean, well, at school, to high school, the, 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 the big thing now, which again, this comes back to all, everything in life comes in circles, mate. It always comes back yeah. around. Fashion, to everything, mate. You always, you know, that's what I was... I'm not a hoarder, but I'm encouraged to keep things, certain things. Like, had I kept my Pokemon collection back in like the early 2000s, mate, I'd be 
running the Logan Paul podcast right now. Because, <laughs> like, honestly, I used to, there used to be a shop, like a um, shop that used to, a um, game shop, but like a, re- a regional one that used to sell that like, video game store. And he was actually the Pokemon lot seller in my area. Mm-hmm. I used to go to school, finish school, get the train into town, and then literally go buy Pokemon packs. Like, and I'm talking about the ones that you see now on the on the big podcast, like season one, like Pokemon, like drop one, wow. like the Charizard, like the Venusaurs yeah, and the yeah, Blastoise. Yeah. And I still remember to this day getting my first Charizard out of a pack, and it was like Christmas had come early because in my head. <laughs> That's twenty five quid. I've just got here. How much is that worth now? That, that's what. Yeah, that's what I made this guy because I'd sell it to the guy over the counter that I just bought it from for fifty quid, and he'd put it in a folder, and he'd just start selling them all. Mad. Those Charizards now. I mean, there wasn't a first or a limited edition. It was a a mint condition one. I think some of them goes for like about. It's still on eBay. You see some of them going for about three grand. What? Three, four, five that's grand, crazy. depending on, so on the print, the edition. <laughs> yeah. But then you see the first editions and that sort of stuff. They go for like hundreds, if not yeah, millions. Yeah. Mad. And I'm thinking, I used to have all these things and I just, I just let them go. I used to sell them at car boots. Like I used to go on car boots on a weekend. And that's when like the jungle collection came out after the base collection and yeah. the um, fossils. And that was the big thing for me at school. I started off with sweets and then Pokemon. I was Me and my friend that li- now lives in America is super successful guy now. But again, you can see the sort of people that are going to be yeah, quite affluent in life because they start figuring these things figuring these things out early and how to go against the grain mm-hmm. and me and him literally ruled the pokemon community <laughs> in school like we used to come in literally finish school go out and then never mind when Jap- we discovered japanese cards like we'd come in with one japanese card and trade it for the whole jungle base collection of shinies Mad. i said Man, you can get that for five quid down the road and we traded <laughs> it for your whole 300 quid's worth of shinies mad so we should just like we so back then we should just like again just trading Pokemon cards and like making money from like trading. The That's it, mate. And stuff. Literally selling sweets and then Pokemon cards. And this is when I was flipping out. We were thirteen. Mm-hmm. I'm thirty five now, so it's twenty two. Yeah, twenty two years ago. But, and imagine like, you never know. You, we we could never have known that Pokemon was going to be like coming back around as much as it's done yeah, in the yeah, last yeah. two years. Because. Again, like if we'd have kept all of that, mate, there'd be such good investments now. Because we had we had them all. We literally had dupl- duplicates of the of the rarest cards. Mad. And we all we could think about at the time is just buying, selling, buying, selling, and then finding the next thing. And him and I, ironically enough, ended up going to uni together in London. And um, you know, he he does a very sort of big gig out in America yeah. for like a big conglomerate, very successful guy. And we still joke about obviously the, the times that we used to have at school, like doing Pokemon cards. That's sick though, because you hear about people like selling sweets and stuff, but it's rare that you hear about people actually like selling that like, Pokemon and trading it on a higher level. How much do you think you was making that like, back then on the Pokemon stuff? Thousands. But thousands. this is like when I was thirteen, like you know, that was the thing. Thousands of pounds like doing Pokemon cards, and to a thirteen-year-old, you know, yeah, that's a yeah. lot of Lord. money. My parents was like. I don't need a PlayStation. I buy my own. It's like, <laughs> this is like early like PS2s and stuff yeah. like this. And I'm just like, where's this guy coming from with all this money? I was like, you know, it's like, what are you doing? So you at school, Lou? It's like, mum, I'm just like, you won't give me pocket money. So this is the things I've got to do. Yeah. <laughs> it's like, Sick. Sick. Yeah, yeah. and you know, I just, I've, I've never wanted to be, because obviously we did lose a lot in terms of when we grew up. I, I just need, I never wanted to be depending on other people for making my own way kind of thing. So I've always kind of had this affiliate affinity to want to obviously just, do things that obviously give me freedom basically for me it's not about the money it's about the actual being the, being able to do the things that I want to do without having to ask for permission to mm-hmm. do them or being to well to a point the money does make obviously come into play but I just don't want to be able, having to obviously one of these people that live to the weekend like oh my god it's payday yeah I mean I'm touch wood I'm, I don't want to obviously see that day again that I no longer 
have to obviously count the days down to the 30th of every month. 100%. It's a scary place to be, right? And I think that's why I've always kind of tried to do whatever it takes to kind of just keep active and do different things. And that you need, you know, the Pokemon thing upgraded then to um, vintage clothing at the time. Um, we went to uni, we went in at 2005 and the whole vintage scene, you know, Kasabian. Yeah. Um, like that whole indie scene was a big thing back then, like doing vinyl and that sort of stuff. Um, the Libertines, big bands, you know, it's a big yeah, thing yeah. back then. And for us, you know, that I used to basically, well, I set up my own sort of um, vintage um, sort of reselling business, but that was on eBay. That's when I first discovered eBay was at uni. And I was basically buying and selling stuff from places like TK Maxx, yeah. Rag Mills. Mm-hmm. Um, like that I'd kind bu- of like arbitrage kind of stuff, like thrifting. Yeah, exactly. Like thrifting. If now you've seen people like Glass Onion Vintage are massive now. These communities yeah. that go basically selling into the freshers' weeks, you know. But we did that at a smaller scale, um, and that probably you know that coupled with a few bits and pieces put me through uni really. And obviously, I still work at T-Mobile at the time, and that whole I, I love the concept of, bo- of sourcing something and thinking, wow, this could be worth like twice three yeah, times yeah. what I've just found it for we used to buy like big like well Zara and people said like these biker like bomber jackets like leather jackets yeah you'd get one of them at a thrift shop for about ten, a five or a tenner and you sell it for some we didn't know what we had our hands on we found like an old Lewis leather aviator jacket I didn't even know what it was because it wasn't a simple case that you could just go on eBay and see how much these things are sold for yeah. back then it's just like we'd have to research on what it was and so how did you, how did you find out how much they're worth well once it sold because the yeah. auction just went wild. I okay. put it up for I started up for a pound, and then seven days later, it finishes for three hundred and sixteen quid. And I'm like, <laughs> it's just a battered leather jacket. But then yeah. do a bit of research. It's like Lewis Leathers are like one of the biggest like suppliers of ABA jackets into like the um, US Air Force, and I'm just like, what? Yeah, That's yeah. crazy. Um, so again, research wasn't at your disposal the way it is now. Yeah. So obviously, uh, a lot of the stuff that we kind of stumbled on like quite look fortuitously just because we had a good eye for things that we thought looked good that could, we could actually style mm-hmm. on a shoot and then flip yeah and that's how we did you know we did a bit of flipping on eBay did T-Mobile retail but then that was it really I think then after that then I graduated and then had to look for the next thing really so did you continue to flip things after that or did it kind of settle off for a bit yeah so I mean <laughs> I, won't go, I won't go too much into that but I did find a a uh, uh, online gambling thing was a, a massive thing at the time so mm-hmm. you know the whole channel 5 thing yeah. yeah, that was like doing like the after hours roulette thing that was like a a pit of abyss for me okay, <laughs> I, I found it sort of luckily in the last year of uni and you know I put in like 100 quid onto that and um, I made like 3 grand but playing like automated roulette and I think that was probably the worst thing that could have happened you got yeah. me hooked on it basically yeah and it's and a tough one. It was hard. I mean, obviously, and then I graduated, got a pretty good job and, uh, you know, going through a load of, I lost a load of money like doing that online stuff. And again, that's money that I get, I could have easily been plowing into different things, investments on growing my own thing. But that's that kind of derailed me a little bit in my mid-20s. And to a point, I think it cost me a very uh, important relationship at, my, at the time, which you know, was probably the start that once I've managed to get past that period of my life, sort of in my mid twenties, when I started kind of sort of then kind of getting that appetite again for things. So I did lose myself my way a little bit in the early twenties yeah. when I sort mm-hmm. of had, I went from obviously being quite savvy and being quite, you know, having an ability to make things happen and just being, you know, 
back myself to do so i just kind of lost interest in a lot of things lost a lot of relationships That's gambling, man. yeah it's well yeah bad, it was bad, yeah mate you know and it's only when you sort of hit rock bottom then you think it can only actually go up from here you either get sank and swallowed by that situation yeah, or you yeah. actually have to rise up and kind of fight against it and i had no choice i think it only, it only stopped because i couldn't have any more access to funding at that point Mad. and um you know luckily that i still had a quite a good job which was able to, you know, I was able to pay both my student loans. What did you say? Just cut that completely? Yeah, like, gone, mate. Never, like I had to, because like yeah. I said, like, you know, luckily for me, I've not been a guy that's, I'm quite addictive. I've got addictive personality. If I see something, I have to always see it through. Mm-hmm. Whether it's, you know, the last thing you want to be addicted to is three things, right? Like things like drugs, gambling, yeah. all that, all those types of things, the things that you want to kind of stay away. And luckily, and drink, right? Luckily for me, I don't drink and I don't do drugs. I never have. and I've never even tried. So I thought the last thing that I need now is like you can imagine having an an, an addiction like that with another one of those two would be like yeah. a, a recipe for disaster. Hundred percent, mate. And this is it. So I, you know, overcame that luckily, and I was even in a position like quite fortunate. The fact that I obviously had a very good career path where I actually, you know, applied myself again, and you can make very good good commissions. And I dug myself out of the hole relatively quickly, but again, it's just not a place where I wanted to be really. Um, not a proud moment you know it did cost me a few things both mentally physically you know so 100% I bet you learned a lot from you know the whole situation there I think those are the types of things that actually ultimately define you as a character is how like how you how you actually deal with adversity as a as an individual because I think if you if you've had your life given to you in a silver spoon not that I'm taking it away from people that have but I've not had that you know I've had to overcome a lot and I'm not going to get a violin out and start saying that, oh, God, yeah, look, mm-hmm. pity me. Because he's not, cause mate, at the end of the day, like a lot of people learn the hard way that the world doesn't get, care what you do. Mm-hmm. Like, you know. Yeah, it's true. Like, you have to, you're the only person, you're the, you're the hero of your own story. You're the only person that can save yourself out of any situation. Literally. As much as obviously it does help to have a very sort of good foundation of friends and family, then ultimately it's only you that can drag yourself out of the pit. And I had to, and I did. I'm glad that I did, mate. Because like I said, I think since that point in my mid twenties, it was a massive turning point in terms of just obviously then sort of from then cracking on and then just exploring. Because I gave up a little bit on myself, and I just thought, what is there? Is there more to this? And you know, do I want? And that's when I started sort of really sort of turning the corner and start questioning around corporate life. Do I really want to be doing this forever? And that's when I started picking up eBay again, and then I started obviously looking at alternative ways of obviously making money. Mm-hmm started traveling again and you know just kind of getting my passion my, my passions reignited for just doing different things but again it's just a lot of the opportunities that you guys offer the communities and so forth just weren't yeah. available even back then like sort of 10 years ago mm-hmm. 100%. it's a relatively new thing even though it's becoming massively like predominant like right now all these like you know ways to make money on online you know it's all like this matrix kind of stuff it's like it's becoming massively popular and um you know it's now been it's never been easier to make money online than it has right now like it's yeah, like literally. there's so much information out there. there's so many people making youtube videos you know making blogs just making tons of content about actually how to go out there and you know make money it's even like Gary V you know him him going down to like garage sales and showing you how you can just buy stuff and flip it on for yeah. a profit it's just like he's like a millionaire but he still yeah, goes down and and 20 I, quid I think it's good though because it shows you, is you know it trash talk it is yeah, yeah. It's brilliant podcast yeah. yeah and you know it, it just shows you know that it, like you said then you know you are the hero in, in your story you know it's up to you anyone can you know change it turn it all around you know no matter how bad it gets and you know you can just never give up that's the ultimate thing and obviously it's hard you know sometimes shit can be going so 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 bad but you just got to kind of think you know that like all these other people out there have turned around there's tons of other people you know it's just up to you to really do it and you know make a change but like from that you know 
how did you like find about like Crep Chief Notify? How did you like start? How did that all come around for you? So to be fair, it was, I'd say, yeah, two or three, yeah, two, maybe two years, I think. But a lot of it did come from the fact that I wanted to maybe look at ways of actually, as we talk about things like automation and stuff like that, like I, did, I used to research things that sell and I always, I always keep my eye, you know, I used to, I've, anything you can flip, I always try and do, whether it's yeah. like a car or, you know, can, can I buy a, look, you know, people, it has a stigma basically like this whole flipping thing but for me I always look at ways of what people are doing on YouTube to make money and Crep Chief kept coming up and up and up you know as when you search for different ways you know it's a very generic thing yeah how do you make money but mm-hmm. Crep Chief did keep coming up for whatever reason obviously people kept talking about I'm trialling this Crep Chief thing and see how it goes and you know back when I started doing it a couple of years I think was it during the Euros I think it might have been a couple of years ago now mm-hmm. it was when I first got involved and yeah it was literally at the height of when you remember the the uh, the old draft the beer pumps. Yeah, yeah, May, yeah, yeah, yeah. Honestly, revolutionary product that was. <laughs> <laughs> and I was just like, I'm going to give this a go. Signed up. I was researched, mate. I was like, literally, I'm I'm the stingiest guy on the planet. And my missus will tell you, it's just like I'll, I'll negotiate my bill at Nando's if I could, mate. Like, <laughs> honestly, so. I said, well, can I get discounts? I work in the centre. Where are we? Trafford, yeah. I work at, yeah, I work down there, the Trafford Centre. Yeah, mate, I'm that guy. Yeah. And I'm just like looking for 50% codes to join Crip Chief. Don't don't, don't judge me. Yeah. (laughs) Literally looking at who's got 50% codes. (laughs) And I I, I keep seeing some, and I found one and I joined. I thought, you know, this is like literally whatever it was, like 15 quid. So give it a go. And I ordered the first beer pump. I think it was a Moretti one because I just like the look of the Moretti one yeah. versus the other ones. I thought... Moretti's a nice beer. Mate, unreal. I literally saw it. I thought, I can't remember how much it was. I think they were a couple of hundred quid. They, they weren't they weren't Yeah, cheap. the was like 200-ish quid, yeah. I think. And I thought, it's a high ticket item, but I just can't be asked to faff about with the drossy little things. I want to just go, you know, to Playstations and stuff, you know, consoles, that sort of stuff. I want to go something big and see if it's if it can be done. Yeah. Did it. Put the first one on eBay, weren't selling on a buy it now. And I thought, oh God, I don't want to be one of these guys that everyone moans about because he's, he's running, he's saturating the price because he's, he's starting it off cheaper. But then I thought, what can I do different that everyone else is not doing? So there was, it's either you start, you got it listed too high as a buy it now, or you've got it listed too close to like retail. Yeah. Because you're scared and you're not obviously getting your investments. So I thought, no one's actually listing auctions on these. So you've got about 200 of these up, either buy it now or just re, like really cheap or either too high. So, why don't I just do it? Go against the ninety nine percent of doing auction at low res, no reserve Sick. at a pound, and then by day six of the auction out of ten, he had about one hundred and twenty watches. I was I didn't even have to go and ask people to watch because he was just gathered so much interest and it went for about six hundred and fifty quid. Mad, because everyone wants that one then. Yeah, and this is literally like a month before the Euros kicked off, and I'm so thinking in the garden, bearing away. It. The weather was good that summer, and I'm thinking. Wow, it's like <laughs> 300 quid on a beer pump. So if you want to get involved in reselling like Mike was, then you can head over to the Crep Chief Notify website. You can use the exact platform that Mike was using to sell all these beer pumps and stuff like that to become a reseller. So if you want to get involved in that, the link will be in the description. It's called Crep Chief Notify. It's another business that we own. We do have an app on the app store as well that you can go download and sign up to. So if you want to get involved and you want to start making 500 to 1,000 pound additional income every single month, that is the place for you. <laughs> so then I basically, I just 
maxed out my American Express the yeah, next day. How many did you buy? Did you just keep buying them? By the up? time I got th- as many, because obviously it, it, it came in dribs and drabs from what was the? Is it Beerwolf? The, the, yeah, Beerwolf. That was it. <laughs> it came in dribs and drabs, and every time I'm literally, I was sat by my, my phone. I just went bang. I was like, yeah, I'm sure that's a Beerwolf. So I went bang. Got. I literally by the time I was all said and done in the space of like a couple of weeks, I ended up getting about thirty five of them, <sighs> which was a big investment. But I was pretty confident after I'd done what I'd done that I thought I'd at least break even. If I, cause people aren't going to buy them for cheaper because no, exactly. if not, I'd just give them back. It's sold out anyway. Yeah, so. I've got my Amex, so I've got, I'm, I'm protected. I know that obviously not everyone's going to have access to an American Express and I'm not by any means saying go and put yourself in ridiculous debts. But no. at that point, I could afford to. So I yeah. thought if I could turn this around in a 30-day period, for me, this looks like a no-brainer because I'm basically i just getting a line of credit from Amex yeah. in order to basically put this up. one a day. Well, this is it. And I basically, what I did, obviously, just to obviously flip, mix it up a bit, I had someone auction one on a one day, one on a three day, one on yeah. a five, one on a ten. So this constantly, basically, like a stream. And then I had yeah. I had half of them on a buy it now, and then half, uh, or offers, and then half of them in, a, in an auction stream. Yeah. And there was a constant flood, a churn of sales then. And I think by the time it was all said and done, I must have made the best part. Because there was all the other bits, right? That was just my go-to product. Yeah. And my missus would just be like, this is an apartment. We're still in the same apartment. We are getting a house soon, luckily. But it was just like, she'd walk in the morning and it was just a stack, a sea of boxes <laughs> around our, bref- our breakfast bar. And it was just like, Mike, it's like, what the hell is this? It's like, don't <laughs> worry about that, babe. The euro's <laughs> kicking yeah. off soon. These will be gone in no time. So I don't care about the euro. It's like, why is my house full of boxes? What's in them? Beer pumps. It's like, <laughs> but you don't even drink beer? It's like, it's like yeah, but... Who cares? He's like, mate, trust me, I'll get rid of them. He's like, what, what, do you, what do you mean you're going to get rid of them? I said, I'm going to flip them. He's like, for how much? He's like, I don't know. He's like, so I'll double them, hopefully. He's like, well, how much do you spend them? It's like 300. It's like 300 pounds for each one of those boxes. It's like, it's like, is this why we're not going on holiday? And it's like, yeah, but if we sell them, we'll go on a really good holiday. This is why I go on holiday, yeah. Yeah. So he was just like, and to be fair, mate, they went. And then. How one, much did you make of them? Ballpark with everything that was in that, I mean, th- that summer. I think I must have, of just of the beer pumps, I was probably about somewhere in between six or eight. It's two years ago, but it's about six or eight grand. Comfortably. Like, and so is that like, minus the cost as that well? That was net, like oh, after all my fees, nah. shipping. Profit. Yeah, yeah. So six to eight grand profit off beer pumps Mate, in unreal. the summer. And this is what I mean. I thought, you know, because I, I saw a lot of people moan about like the community saying, oh, can you really do this unless you're doing it at scale? Well, yeah, because I've just gone out and done it. Yeah, yeah. So, proof. I, I was just thinking, mate, 15 quid a month, I feel like I've cheated these boys out of 15 quid by getting it for 50% off. I was like, I hope they don't. <laughs> <laughs> I was just like, but this is me. I'm I'm guilty, I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> it's Two years it, though. It, that's what I mean, though. It, and it's one of them, it's about like, you know, even though it is ridiculously cheap, and, you know, it, realistically, if you actually do crep chief and, you know, you do it properly, for £30 a month, you are not getting more bang for buck anywhere else. Yeah. But it's up to you to make it work. There'll be people who join and they go, oh, this is a load of fucking shit, I'm fucking off, and they'll just leave it. And, you know, it, it's up to you, it's up to you to make it, like, up to you to make it yeah, work, yeah. and you just got to put in the time, you know, learn about it, and, you know, just actually do it, and, you know, and, and if it doesn't work in the first couple of days and keep going, it's literally, there's free cash sat there waiting for the taking. You just got to do it. But that happens daily, mate. I see people join that I'm new. I've just flipped this. It's like, oh, is it really worth it holding on for the 30 quid? But mate, it's 30 quid you didn't have before. But like, but you know, it's all predicated by how much you need that money. Because we were talking about this earlier, right? Like you say, you know, if you, I understand that there are younger lads that come in and say, you know, if you're reliant on that 500 pound you're about to spend to try and flip, 
for your rent or your kind you of bills. Be you should no, be doing yeah, yeah. it, mate. This is only, as you as you guys say, it's a side income and it's only going to be done if you've got extra money to burn. Not burn, but obviously like you can afford to obviously spend in order to obviously accumulate longer term. You've got to term. see it as like an investment. 100%. Yeah. Like I said, you know, I've literally got 30 fries in my house this week. I mean, most of them are gone. Two of them, ironically, in the last like hour or so whilst we've been sat here. <laughs> and I'm literally just thinking, you know, I can afford to sit on them till yeah. Christmas. But if you can't, well, then that's when it's going to be a problem. That's when you're going to start moaning about the facts. Because at the moment, yeah, literally, you know, the eBay fees have come back in on the promotions. And obviously they all, you know, we've gone from having a, about 100 or so online to like a few a few thousand. Cool. It, it Ultimately, that's, that's just standard economics, supply yeah, and exactly. demand. Yeah, you know, the, the supply is much higher, so the demand is going to be obviously not as fluid, which will ultimately bring it down. But it's still selling over retail, like comfortably, like five fifty quid at least. Yeah. I mean, and especially the cheaper ones as well. The cheaper ones are the another harder ones to get because people are looking. To, you know, the, people don't want it. So, like for example, Ninja Air Fryers, they like they start at like two hundred pound, but there's other air fryers out there that are like a hundred pound or eighty pound. Yeah, the Vortex. Like, yeah. Did, yeah, did you see them? I got ten Vortex yeah. as well. I got ten Vortexes from Very. Yeah, but that's another thing. I've got a line of credit with Very. Yeah. So obviously, if yeah. you sign up for a line of credit, then it's literally about. I think. Well, you can, it depends on obviously a, a lot of this, and I say this to people that are young, much younger than me, not in a. I'm trying to teach you stuff like I'm your dad or anything, but take it from someone that's had a rock bottom credit. Like your credit is king. Like if you've got a good credit score, mate, it'll put it just gives you a hell of a lot more avenues to do anything in life, mm-hmm. whether it's mortgages, houses, business, you know. Having a good line of credit means then that you can go on very.co.uk and open a line and it's buy now, pay next year, interest free. Really? So for a year? So it's interest free for five a year. grand. Jokes, that's fucked. I've got ten vortexes for nine hundred quid, whatever I've paid for them or whatever it is. I don't know why they're one hundred twenty like quid. Yeah. yeah, for twelve hundred quid, I don't have to. T- I don't have to repay that for a year. It's just it's a no brainer. So I've literally I've just basically give me the ten, give me the ten vortexes. I'll sell them and then I'll I'll pay you back when I've got the money, which I will have. But it's cost me zero interest. So there's another way to de-risk your commitment to the resale community. Then, you know, that Argos do it, Curry's have buy now, pay mm-hmm. next year. So you can, you know, there's a lot of ways to de-risk your spend yeah. if you're obviously like not wanting to commit capital up front. And at least that way you can work within the confines of a 30-day turnaround yeah. period. Yeah. And I'm sure you could return your products as well. Well, yeah. And, you know, you get your money back. Well, there's, I won't, I won't lie. There, are, there have been instances where I haven't been able to sell things because I've just arrived too it's late to the natural, party. Yeah. And if that's the case, then, mate, most things I've got a 28-day returns policy Free anyway. returns. Yeah. Stick a label on, it's gone. That's it. So, you know, I mean, it, all that's all that's cost you is a bit of time. But, you know, if you don't try, then you won't know. Because not everything's going to be a home run. Like, I mean, mate, the one thing that I'm good about didn't get a hold of is these M&M ties. Like, oh, we've yeah. seen them. Like literally, I, th- I think well, I, I, it's a big well, commitment. Yeah. Thirty thousand pound for the like li- yeah, yeah. for the tie. I said, I said yeah. the other day, didn't I? Yeah, sell for like three grand. Oh Shut up. God. Yeah, yeah. They I sell- mean, I've not even checked them. I knew oh, they were man. selling for fifteen hundred pound I mean, the other day. Varying, but like yeah. They did, yeah. at the height of it, at the start, when obviously they just come out, like you could have flipped them for like two grand profit. It's yeah. like I thought it's giving me remnants of the. Uh, bloody founders editions graphics kind yeah. of night. We haven't seen, we haven't <laughs> seen some of them in a while. Like, sleeping at night. But yeah. again, that's a very a product that. I sold alongside the air fryers, uh, not the air fryers. Sorry, the other uh, beer pumps. But I just couldn't get enough of them. Yeah, the because hard to get. Scan.co.uk was very savvy, even with the multiple phases of IP addresses. <laughs> oh, yeah, they're on smoke, aren't they? <laughs> but it's like, so hard. Man. I just used to go for the thousand pound one every time, yeah. and then wait for for Bitcoin to have a massive cr- uh, boom. Because at that point, obviously, last year when Bitcoin was climbing it, at the height of the the ball run, but a lot of these things are, as you say, seasonal. But their macroeconomic factors mm-hmm. come into mm-hmm. play. And if you think that with, you know, sort of practically, you think 
what drives the price of a graphics card. The fact that all these crypto mines are required require them to actually mine them. Yeah, yeah. So the RGB, like you know, the, the Nvidia cards, you couldn't get them quick enough. People were just building these rigs at home just to obviously mine 100%. and mine and mine. I sold like seven of them to one guy and one girl. I think I sold them. I think I made like eight hundred pound profit each one, and he bought seven in one. So just came to my house, just gives us all the cash. It's but you, but sick. that's is it. But do you remember <laughs> when they literally were a grant, and that's. You could have flipped them for some. In some instances, they were flipping at the height of the bull, the bull run. They were flipping for two and a half. Those like, yeah, like big like, top end models. And it was 13, 13 99 to buy. So yeah, it's yeah. like one point one k profit. That's what and I mean. And it was do you shifting a ton on Facebook Marketplace as well. So no fees. Literally just a grand like that. That's insane. A, that's a product that I miss. It's like I'm still waiting for the next. It's like, so it's the forty like, nineties have just come out. Um, really? But the, so I've, I've, we checked the resale price about a week or two ago. There was only about three hundred, four hundred pound profit in them, but it might only. climb. Um, <laughs> Still but we're just waiting for some restocks on them well, at the moment. I wouldn't put my mortgage on the crypto market going yeah, up any time. No. <laughs> no. A lot of people are transferring away from you know the ones you know the, the the method where you need like graphics cards and stuff like yeah, that yeah. to you know to support your coin. Um, you know to like mine it. You know people are getting rid of that now. So I think in the long run, you know, crypto mining probably will die out. Um, but. But it's always, always happened to your ear to the ground, basically, for me. Like, Because where the story gets interesting for me in terms of it's what I did with the profits from those mm-hmm. beer pumps. So what did you do with the profit? Well, this is it, right? So, you know, I was saying to a few of the other members, so once obviously that came in, I thought, this is great. And that's when I actually invested a load of money into, like, I diversified that investment into, like, seven or eight cryptos, mm-hmm. like altcoins and stuff. You know, for me, it was just kind of hedging my chances, yeah, basically. You know, if I put a grand on each one, I just need one to 10x and I've recovered the 8k and then some but then I'm, I'm, I'm hoping that some of them will maybe 50 and do what and basically what happened six tanked one of them 40x and one of them 10x so you know my two grand investment was all of a sudden worth about 50k wow did <laughs> I mean, you cash out so the, the crypt chief profits basically went into a divested portfolio of cryptos which then basically cash by the time I'd cashed out I'd got a load of money and you know had to obviously declare and so forth and do you yeah. ca- that sort of stuff and that in essence became the pot of money which has now funded my clothing brand Telecruise mm-hmm. that we've launched literally about I mean it's only been going six months in terms of sales but it actually only, it's, it's been in sort of in the works yeah, now yeah. for about 18 months in terms of dealing with suppliers understanding the concept and mm-hmm. you know this came at a really good time for us because obviously at that point when I was doing the flipping you know we've both been made redundant and then the crypto, I mean, that was that, that, that crypto portfolio like blew up in about a month of me <laughs> yes, actually like placing it through <laughs> like Binance. And I was just like, took out that money. I thought, you know what? I'm not one of these guys that go back in because of the affiliation that I had with my old being greed yeah, when I was a 100%. kid. I thought, you know, that's real. That's yeah. not, that, that's great. It's like, it, you get all these moon boys in crypto that basically say, oh, yeah, my God, to the moon. It's like, yeah, hold all that shit. To the moon. It's like, geezer, no offense. <laughs> two, two grand and you're at 50. Forget the moon, mate. You're at Pluto. You've, yeah, exactly. you've left the galaxy yeah. at this point, mate. It's like, Just what investment can you actually go into now that gives you multiple thousands of returns in a month? You know, you buy like stock from the 70s and you'd wait for it like 30 years to get anywhere near to what doing exactly. those kinds of games now. Like, and that's why that's why I don't like to hold on to stuff too long because you never know how the... It's, it's an unregulated marketplace for a start. So it's not like obviously like the Forex industry mm-hmm. whereby, you know, it's predicated on exchanges, it's regulated... This could flip on its head. Like we've seen that another exchange has gone under in the last three days. Yes, yeah, like wiped out thirty billion dollars. Yeah. Literally all gone like that. So that money's only real. You've all watched Wolf, Wolf of Wall Street. It's all Fugazi. It's like it doesn't 100%. exist until it's in your pocket, basically. So for me, I took that money and then started the brand. But it was a big gamble for us because again, we'd both be made redundant, and it's 
not like we were pressured to go back to work because luckily we live by a motto that, that I was explaining to Milo earlier. You know, we like to always have enough of a pot of savings whereby we can at least survive and keep the lights on for at least a 12-month minimum period. Yeah. And that gave us a bit of freedom to actually say, you know, do we really want to go back to work or do we? Can we? should we now take that plunge and finally start a business? Because when you've got mortgages, kids to look after and so forth, then it's very difficult to kind of commit finances to something that you don't know is going to work when you've got yeah. responsibilities. And that's why I wish I'd have done a lot of the things I was doing now, you know, sort of 10, 15 years ago, because you live at home with your parents, you've got disposable cash. Yeah, exactly. You, as Gary B says, you could fail 10 times over and you'll still only be tw- in your 20s yeah, and actually. go again. So, yeah, mate, it's one of them. So it started telecruise and that's for me, it's been something that it's been a passion that I've been chasing for a long time because I love clothing. You know, I think we all love like, having nice things. But at the end of the day, you know, I used to work retail jobs. I've worked at Selfridges and I've worked at um, Harrods when I was up, obviously in, in my teenage years or a uni and college and stuff. So I've always liked clothes and I thought I'd love to have my own brand. And that pot of money enabled that to do almost not say risk-free because it's still money that you don't want to lose, yeah. but it, like, yeah. it's almost basically, it saved me having to go to a bank to apply for a business loan then. And obviously it's all being worried about rates of interest, paying back monthly and that sort of stuff. And we launched that uh, in the end. I think we've started selling end of April this year. Yeah. Um, yeah. We've sold that three times in six months. <laughs> six. <laughs> Which again, this for us is going to be like a, we'll do this as a bit of a side income mm-hmm. to try and obviously keep ourselves busy while obviously lockdown finishes and ultimately just to try and do something for ourselves. Yeah. Um, passion projects. Yeah, exactly. And all, mm-hmm. we can always go back to work and things all, you know, this is never always going to last forever. So we thought we could always go back to work when we need to. And we, we, we could, I don't want to live with, live with regrets. And the longer that I leave it, the harder it's going to become the older that again, I'll yeah. lose kind of that. Um, sort of hunger to try and chase that sort of yeah, yeah. and it's a you know clothing tends to be a sort of younger man's game if you will um, so luckily for me I looked about 10 years old so <laughs> dressed like a t- teenager still going on 40 but still it's um, now nah, the stuff's insane though no yeah, I appreciate it fire. but this is what we wanted to create I think that whole concept was that everyone was living in sort of loungewear right you know yeah. this whole the whole dynamic of going to the office changed you know everyone was working from home and all my meetings were basically Zoom meetings, you know, in sweats. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, can we twist that on its head? Because, I mean, we're all, I'm a big fan of essentials, fear of God, you know, like what those yeah, guys yeah. have created. Is, you know, that movement is now basically just snowballed everything into an avalanche of like, it's basically validated loungewear as a luxury item. Yeah, it's not just like a, you're not just a roadman or a, a chav or just a guy that with like, you know, yeah. baggy sweats or whatever. It's actually like, it's made that sort of line of clothing streetwear almost like it's glamorized it if you will a yeah, little bit 100%. so you know there's some big brands out there that are doing very similar things you know in terms of streetwear hoodies cargoes all this sort of stuff and I think I'm a big consumer of those brands don't get me wrong but for me I thought is there a way that this can be done given the circumstances of living conditions lockdown that can be done at a high quality but also at a more affordable price point because I didn't want to be a person that buys a 200 pound hoodie just because you can't get them in a shop mm-hmm. just in essence it's a again i'm not going to obviously say it's a bad product because i actually i do wear a lot of it yeah. and i do love it but for me i just looked at it very sort of simplistically in the sense that this is a 70 percent cotton and 30 percent poly hoodie 
like I could make this better like having it all hundred exactly, percent yeah. organic cotton yeah hundred percent and doing it for half the price because like kids as much as they want to be within the latest trends and so forth they shouldn't have to go out and force people to spend two hundred pounds on a hoodie from King Game and, and, and places like that a lot of people haven't got that kind of money 100%. to invest you know it's just gonna like turn your nose up realistically if you want to grow your brand you need people recommending it to their friends you need you need it actually within the culture if no one can buy your hoodie because they don't want to you know spend their money on it then how are you ever gonna like get more people referring it how are you gonna get that kind of like extreme organic growth thinking about a more serious side hustle and something that you can actually take into a full time business well then you should consider Amazon FBA Amazon FBA is another great side hustle it does take Take more time, more effort, and more learning than reselling, but it's a great side hustle that has a lot of scalability to it, and it does require a little bit more money to start. It basically works on about 20 to 30 percent ROI on every penny you invest. So if you want to get involved in that, you want a more serious, a more scalable, and a more time-consuming side hustle, then you should check out Amazon FBA. And we here at Side Hustle, we also own another business called Seller Circle. Seller Circle is exactly like Crep Chief Notify, and basically what this is is an information education platform where you can learn all about and find step-by-step -step guides on how to become an Amazon seller. We'll also provide you with products that you can go out and buy from stores to sell on Amazon to make a profit. So if you want to get involved with that, check out Seller Circle. Once again, the link will be in the description. Well, this is, and this is what I was hoping, you know, we're an unknown brand, but like I said, my, my, my kind of key differential I want to drive into this is simplistic. For me, less is more. You know, you go into like designer shops and see and very nice Valenciaga or Valenciaga hoodie, just with the logo. It's like eight hundred pound now. Eight hundred quid it's for a hoodie. And so I'm thinking, mate, it's like this is a, for me for this to justify this, it would have had to be literally handmade by the wall of alpacas from yeah. Machu Picchu, <laughs> handpicked in Peru, mate. You know what I mean? It's yeah, like eight hundred pounds. So I thought we could make something quality, essential, a simple, and rid it from distractions of branding and stuff and just keep it about the product and the quality, right? Yeah. And I'd like to think that that's what we've done because we, we continue to keep selling out because we've done that at a price point that I think is very fair, right? You know, a lot of brands are still selling hoodies at like 140, 150, 200 pounds. I thought we can do this for about 60, 70 quid. Do you think your prices will start to go up or I mean, are you going to kind of keep it? I'm trying to just, I'm trying to swallow as much of it as possible now because we want to keep consistent with our message, right? In terms yeah, of the luxury, say luxury and affordability, but all these thing, things are relative to people in terms of their circumstance. Yeah. I like to think that our product stacks up really well against what the things you can get it, out there. I think it does, yeah. You know, the silhouettes are nice, they're simple, they're, you know, the thick. I mean, I'm-, I'm And that's what you were in full. Yeah, I'm, I'm season two now, but these are just the samples. So uh, what you see now will probably be better in a, a month's time or yeah, so yeah. when it drops When's in the We're thinking sort of it's, a lot of it's going to be delayed on based on shipping shipping time because it's coming from uh, various different countries. And we, as I'm sure they've seen that some of the shipping ports are on strike as well yeah. at the moment in Ipswich and Felixstowe, which is where the things land. So we're trying to just sort out logistics, but the plan is to uh, be relaunching on season two in middle of December, if not just after Christmas. Perfect. So we're hopeful for it, right? As you can imagine, you know, three sellouts in six months, we it's far anti sort of superseded our anticipated sort of projections, mm -hmm. really. Yeah. We thought if we can break even in 12 months, then we've got a really good little business here. And we did it in, we broke even in two. And then, Sick. which I thought, wow. So that's when I actually thought we've got something. Yeah, 100%. Um, I'd, wa I'd wake up in some random like, days and I'd see my Shopify going off and I'd say, I'd go, you obviously go and check in who's done it. And one of the days I had a footballer from Chelsea Football Club and Sick. I was like, 
how so how would you even like market in it to like sell it that far what was like the, what was, yeah so what was like the starting period like how would you market in it so organically yeah uh, again coming back to me being quite sort of risk adverse in some ways obviously given personal experiences i you know i wanted to do as much of it as just kind of word of mouth as possible yeah. um and that actually did really well you know we had luckily a really good support from our immediate friends and family but that died off very quickly you very quickly learn who actually backs you as an individual yeah, when yeah. you actually go out on your own and uh but then off the back of that we just did it you know instagram stories we create we, we focused a lot of our budget into creating very simplistic but high-end content um we work with a really talented group of lads actually the videographer videographers as well as um photographers um chap called nathan wadden very talented photographer um and chris motion he's called this is his motion videos his handle on instagram it's a really talented these these guys are working with some high-end brands yeah. like um aston martin Vauxhall. you know they're doing some big commercial pieces and a lot of big big brands for me i knew they were out of my depth yeah as far as a start these are brands that people with huge budgets are hiring but i thought if i'm going to start a new business i need to be able to obviously bring my put my best foot, best foot forward to give it a chance of succeeding and get it, that's when it becomes important to get the right creative and focus a lot of your investment into obviously like standing out mm-hmm. and these guys did that in abundance basically our, our style is minimal but you can see that obviously a lot of work's gone into it basically and that's what i think has helped to sold it out so yeah. quickly that coupled with price point and I think obviously like right colours season that sort of mm. stuff it's going really well like I said yeah so what was yeah Thank literally you. Sick. And you love to hear it you know it's, it's all about the like you know going out there believing in yourself and like you know like you said you've just got to take the risk in a sense there's you know if you don't take risks you're never going to get anywhere you're going to be sat in the same position for years and years and years until you do something until you know take that risk and actually like just do it. It's like, just do it is my favorite saying in life. It's just because it's just so perfect. It's like to start anything. And the, the, the biggest thing holding most people back is just not doing anything about it. Just not doing anything. So I think, you know, massive respect for that. And, you know, I genuinely love to hear it, but you know, coming back to like your Instagram and stuff, like, is it genuinely just like you like put, putting it on your stories other people referring it and then them following your Instagram and like buying from there, like, so it was at the start and I think obviously once quickly that sort of fad of it being new, sort of that sort of hype sort of fades mm-hmm. off a little bit after the first few weeks, then I did obviously have to start looking at exploring methods around obviously how to then grow that. And that's, again, very much out of my comfort zone, things yeah. that I know very little around, which I'm now starting to learn in abundance because it's a very lucrative field, metaverse, and obviously everything that comes within that ecosystem around advertising, Facebook ads, right? Mm-hmm. So something I knew nothing around, you know, for me, as far as that advertising goes, is just, shall I just boost a post on Instagram yeah. and just, which actually has its ups and downs and actually it does work, but it's learning the whole concept around obviously driving ads and traffic through the way that you create audiences and so forth on so Facebook you, ads. So you running your own ad yourself? Initially, we actually hired an agency to do that um, because again, just obviously doing the tech business yeah. and obviously doing my day-to-day and the flipping and the crypto and all that sort of stuff, then I just haven't got the time. So for me, having an easier life is the best way to go for it. Mm-hmm. So we outsource that to an agency. But the thing what you come across is a lot of agencies, and this is what a lot of young brands struggle, I'd say, is for the fact that they have a very big retainer up front and they want to normally commit you to at least a minimum of three-month contract. And if you think some of these retainers tend to range between, depending on the agency, 
you know, between a thousand to two thousand pounds a month, and that's just purely to pay them 100%. to run them, yeah. and then you have to factor in your ad spend on top and profit. Uh, exactly right. So it can very quickly get diluted. So you know, they said these guys are telling us you have to run about two hundred quid a day, and that's at six grand a month. We're a brand new business. It's like, mate, who's got six grand a month to run on Facebook ads? Yeah. You won't. You said Might you not work. Hundred percent. And a lot of these risks are me and Lily and my missus. We're basically going through my mind thinking. So okay, so if we sign a retainer, we've got to commit just what four, four and a half, five grand just to pay them to run them, and then the ad spend on top, which could be another six grand. That's eleven grand. <laughs> it's like I need to sell a lot of hoodies to get a six grand 100%. back, right? Um, so we did it for a while, and it worked to a point. And then again, I started networking with people that have done this and other brand owners and. There's been a really good guy actually that runs a local brand. He's actually like based up in up north here and near. He's, he's based out in Liverpool, and he's been a really good help actually. He's actually he's three years down the line with his ecom business, yeah. and he's actually learned it all himself from scratch. But this is a guy that's actually gone out and spent thirty, forty k of his own money to learn and trial and error, and he's been a very good good friend actually to me to actually say you know I've got a trial and tested formula that's worked for me, which I think with your creative would probably fly. And we tested it with him and that's when it really kicked on from there really because actually repurposing the funding away from retainers into the actual ad spend by having someone that actually he ran it for us. I'm not going to sit here and lie and say that we did it all of our own backs. So we've had a lot of help. Yeah, 100%. Which I think sometimes you do need yeah, and you can't course. be too scared to ask for it. You can't do it yourself, 100%. 100%. No way it's ever happening. And he basically, the return on ad spend that he gave us versus the agency was literally catastrophically scary. <laughs> it was almost like 10 to 1. And I was just like, wow. Like, and this is at a point whereby we were almost sold out again anyway. Yeah. And we had just like, you know, the XLs and the extra smalls, like the, the both ends of yeah. the spectrums. Because everything that tends to sell tends to be typically down the range of the middles, the mediums, the larges. And he literally took what we had left that we were trying to obviously like get rid of just before we obviously re- relaunch. And he got rid of it in like three weeks. Crazy. And it was like, it, it felt like a little Black Friday sale, That's which I'm, I'm quite... Um, you know, we're going to miss that, unfortunately, this year, but hopefully next year. But it was literally, my phone was, my Shopify notification goes, bang, 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 bang. And I'm just thinking, this is mint. That's yeah. sick. That it's, like, it's overwhelming, right? You've created something from like, thin air and strangers are buying it. I'm just thinking, this is amazing, right? 100%. And yeah, so that's what really sort of kicked us on. But then it, it, it's taught us to consider things that we've never considered before. Like the whole Facebook ad space, if you can actually learn that as a skill set, as a young person, whoever, or even the chap that's obviously helping us, it's like, it's, it's a great skill set to have. You can, ad agencies are making so much money now. It's, so, it's a big side hustle as well. Like I've seen a lot of this recently, you know, a lot of people starting that marketing agencies as a side hustle. And I think that kind of plays into, you know, this whole agency route of like, you know, you know, some of them don't deliver. You pay them two, three grand. It doesn't work. You spend your ad money. And, you know, it, it's making the space kind of a bit of a weird space because there's tons of people not only, you know, doing this who are extremely expensive and know what they're doing. Yeah. There's all these other people who are starting this as like a side hustle who've been only doing Facebook ads for one, two months. And, you know, you're paying them retainers. They're, you know, they're gaining clients. And the whole space is just a bit of a sticky situation. We've had, you know, problems we've had people in the past. It's been, you know, hit and miss. Sometimes it you does really referral, well. Really. Sometimes it does a bit mid. It's just like, I've, yeah, I think you learn. Space. You do learn the hard way that a lot of agencies operate in the same model, mate. It's just like big retainers. Oh, we're going to take three months learning period. And actually, what this chap taught me is like, mate, the learning period does not take that long. If you're not seeing stuff 
working in the first few days, weeks, then you need to start, it means it's not working, you need to yeah. alternate it. Whether the agency will make you sweat it out for at least a month. And mate, um, a month of obviously just trialing and testing, oh, you, can, you can hide away with so many excuses to why you're not getting the returns. But someone that knows what they're doing will show it pretty quickly. And I think I'm moving away from that agency and actually just basically going out to people that know that. For me, if you can't give me a month's worth of free trial to test, then I know you're full of it. Yeah. And a lot of people won't say, oh, it's my time, it's my, I get that. But if you're that confident in your results, mate, I said, I'll give you 10% of what you make me in the month if you're that good. Yeah, 100%. So at least you'll get paid either way. But they're not willing to put their, their money where their mouth is. 100%. So that's when you know you've got something bad. But it's getting that sort of stigma that the way that the Forex community stuff. And the only reason that I can see the affiliation, I'm, you know, this is probably one of the other things that I do do on the side, actually, is that Forex trading. Which the crypto stuff was good, but that was just like investment. But yeah. whereas this, I actually do some uh, some day trading as well. So how did all that start for you? So again, I was you know you kind of get sort of seduced by the uh, glamour of what forex mm-hmm. gurus tend to be. And anyone that follows me on Instagram will probably actually throw shade at the fact that my page does look very forexy <laughs> wannabe, but it's not. It's actually driven by the fact that we do a lot of travel blogging and stuff like this. But that's yeah. a different story, but you know, it's all heavily glamorized with the Lambos and you know, the buy this course and you know, you'll make X amounts on MetaTrader and all this sort of stuff. And we'll send we'll, all these signal sellers, right? And uh, I probably went through about three or four grand's worth of scams before I realized that this is a pattern of people, you know, mm-hmm. all these, they're, they're always about 20, 22. They live in Southampton, they're all in the same apartment. And I'm just like, I'll drive the same car. Yeah. 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 So they were, they, were, they were basically all sharing a pool, a pool RA, basically. So didn't need that guy over last week. I'm just, uh, unfortunately, <laughs> took five grand of my money so to figure out that there was, yeah, <laughs> it, there was a, a common theme here. And again, so in the search for trying to find educational material that actually can teach to be self sufficient in that space, then I did end up coming across a company, or rather, there weren't even a company at the time. It was just the one individual chap called Sebastian Dubois. French guy that's actually based out here in Manchester. Mm-hmm. Uh, super successful entrepreneur. You know, again, this is a guy that for me showed all the qualities of someone that I wanted to see in that space. You know, he had the cars to back it. Because if you are spending that sort of level of money, then and you are making what you say you are, you're not driving a C-class Mercedes, yeah. uh, your PCP at your local garage, mate. You're driving the six-figure sum car, right? The Lambos, <laughs> yeah. the Ferrari. And this guy did. But he didn't care how he flaunted it because he actually said, you only hate me because you ain't got it kind of I don't care what and he lives very freely knowing that he doesn't care what people think yeah. I thought this guy actually I like what he's saying you know very Andrew Tate-esque in his approach he's like I don't care so you like it you don't it yeah, is yeah. what it is I'm not gonna lose sleep over your thoughts went and basically took his course a weekend course super switched on guy you got a lot of collateral you know you learn about technical analysis and fundamentals which is the what drives the economy and all these things and did the course I bought, off the back of it I bought his book uh, I should actually switch back. I bought his book first, then I did the course because I actually made about nine grand off his book. Really? Just basically putting into theory what he taught on the book. Then I thought, well, this is now paid for the course. The course obviously was you know, a few hundred quid over the course of a weekend in Chester, uh, hotel and whatever. I did the course and in the end, mate, obviously that's probably the most legitimate source of trading that I've actually I'd found over mm-hmm. the sort of years I've been investigating it. And I've made some really good side income off the back of that. And that's all subsequently since they've now actually got a trading floor in Manchester uh, called FX Cartel, which is the sort of name of the business. Mm-hmm. You probably would have seen them driving yeah, around yeah. or sort of here. They've all got sort of super r- ridiculous cars and they've built up a really good community of traders there. But again, they teach how to do it in a very sort of transparent way. Yeah. And 
they, what they do do actually very well is actually show you ways to make it actually more attainable for people that haven't got capital. Mm-hmm. Because what a lot of people think is that you need hundreds of thousands to actually get to that point. But yes and no. But what they teach you to do is actually get taught through proprietary firms. And for those what don't know what that is, is a proprietary firm is a prop firm that basically funds your trading, so it de-risks you having to use your own capital, mm-hmm. which is what I do now. Um, you know, these guys, companies you would have heard maybe of them, FTMO, um, my forex trading. They basically show, you know, they give you the ability to un- demonstrate that you can trade consistently. And if you can prove that to them through the ser- a series of two challenges, you know, there's a challenge and a verification. You have to make ten percent of your account over the course of a month and then two months yeah. you do that and whatever money you spend you spend to take the test they give it you back anyway if you so if you can trade then it's a no-brainer because you're basically yeah, yeah, de-risking it with someone else's money and again that's how i got into that but yeah i did have to uh kind of kiss a few frogs and lose a few thousand to get to that point but 100%. again you know it's just another way of actually having a, a vehicle to make money on the side whether it be crypt uh, chief crypto investment Forex, you know, reselling, there's, you know, your actual job. I now live very much in a world whereby there is no excuses to uh, not have ways of making money because there's so many options now with the internet. And I'm not saying that for people that can't, then, you know, I'm not going to say that one one shoe fits all, right? Because obviously people are, may have other things going on personally and whatever. So I'm not saying this is like a, you know, it's easy. It's not as easy as it sounds, but yeah. there are tens of different ways of doing it, right? So you know, and you guys are living proof of that as well, which yeah. is ultimately what's got. There's just a million ways yeah. to make money online now, though. But this is it. It's, just, it's getting easier by the day. My crit chief journey has ultimately diversified my investments into obviously the brand and being able to obviously put crypto. You know, that that money went from you got from you guys and flipping those things mm-hmm. to a small crypto portfolio, then from flipping that into a clothing brand, that a clothing brand that. Hopefully, well, I don't know where it can go the yet. The rest but, of your life now. Well, that's, that's, that's the hope, right? Yeah. You know, For me, the view is over the next 12 months to keep growing that business and keep doing the things on the side. You know, it is exhausting. I do need to find alternative ways of trying to obviously split my time with my family as well. But we move, right? So we're, we're all trying sure, to make we'll our lives there. easier. <laughs> yeah, that's yeah. the plan. But yeah, I suppose. How long have we been going for, Tom? Okay, an hour and ten. An hour and ten? Yeah. Wrap it up. Yeah, I think quick point on the forex stuff though. I think I think the whole forex space is like, especially you know the other people like you said you lost three four grand earlier. You know, they've really tainted this kind of like online making money market because they scam yeah, so yeah. many people. Even like Alex who works for us and you know knows Max and that. It's like he even like got done for. It. I had so many. I know tons of people. Even one of my friends. So many people like literally got like done by like forex scams and stuff like that and i think that really tainted the kind of like market on making money online and that was i think that was that was like one of the first ones to really pop up that popped up on social media it was just everywhere i knew about forex literally so many people literally knew about forex even when i was actually just reselling on the side and before we'd started any of these businesses you know it i, I always knew what forex was i always knew that it's kind of sad but i just automatically assumed that it was a scam i could you can just kind of sense it but then again it comes yeah. similar with like crep chief it's like you know people probably look at crep chief and think this is probably a scam as well but i suppose it's a little bit different with that because you know just there's, there's tons of like proof out there there's tons of people making videos we're making videos showing exactly how it works yes, Mike. oh sorry man <laughs> is, it, is it that bad oh uh, well God. <laughs> sick <laughs> but yeah, I, I think that I think there's you know it's massively like tainted by like 
you know, making money online. But, you know, you just got to go out there, do it, try a couple of different things, you know, do things that aren't going to take massive risk. If you have to put like 400 pound deposit into something, you know, maybe think about doing something else, you know, like start, like realistically, when you start Crepe Chief, you're paying us 30 pounds and then the rest of your money is going to like a legit retailer, something like Curry's, Very, people who are never, ever, ever going to scam you. Like the max you can lose with Crepe Chief is like 30 pounds. Other than that, you can just return well, your well, items. Well, this is it, mate. I think for anyone that wants to message me privately, I'm sure you can share the handles afterwards. Yeah, you know, I'm more than happy to kind of advocate for the fact that I can I can feel the frustrations from people because I have other users talk about it. I, I see it in the forums, you know. But flip it on its head. If you ain't gone to the gym, you got a 30 quid subscription to go David Lloyd, in most cases, eight quid. You're saying that this is a scam for 30 quid because there's no enough margin in it, but you're willing to go and spend 80 pound on a gym membership that you won't show up for for 30 days. What's yeah. the difference? 100%. Who's scamming who? It's like, I'm sorry, but you'll get back what you put in ultimately. And yes, some products will give you more than others, but I'm happy to talk to anyone, you know, I'm not by any means a financial advisor, but there are alternative ways to be able to fund the side hustle that is reselling, whether it be through credit cards, through like what we talked about, lines of credit. So I get it that, you know, if you're 18, you know, you obviously got a part-time job, then it can be difficult because you're waiting for your capital to come back on the first flip. But there are ways to work towards obviously increasing that as you are kind of progress through that journey. Like, I'm sure you guys, when you started, you you know, you weren't landing 60 PlayStations when you first landed. No, no you know, way. It's like a couple of shoes a month, maybe something like that. 100%. You, you weren't cooking 60 pairs of Yeezys, you know, that sort of stuff. You, it's all progressive. And like, you can't just look at this as an instant gratifi like, like gratification. It's like, I, I want... I bought a PlayStation, I want money now. It's like, you could, it's, it's a patience thing, right? And it goes back to what I was saying, you can't just have it overnight. You've got to be gradually worked towards. So you guys, obviously, as you, as you grew your business, then you gradually got more connections and then henceforth where you can go out and buy more things than the average person can. 100%. Because you've got a book of contacts. It's like, that came over years of work, not weeks of selling. It's like, yeah. so it's like I said, point. if anyone wants to message me on that, you know, I'm happy to kind of spitball ideas as to how we can do it. You know, I've literally just about to go into a unit now so my reselling has gone from my living room now into a you know it's only a small container but I'm sure I've, I've seen Alex do it one of the guys that now works for you guys it's a great way to do it to be honest that's what I mean because you know you don't want to be surrounded by your working conditions because it does get you down ultimately it's like being like, claustrophobic in like a, a sea of fryers it's yeah. like no, yeah, I get it but you know if you it can grow to that I, mean, I only started doing one, one offs to test it give it a go and actually I thought actually I can see the grass of the trees actually. If, if I can make this kind of money, then I'm going to double down, and I did. Yeah. And ultimately, it's kind of been like a ripple effect, almost like a kick down one domino. It's just cascaded the rest. Hundred percent. And I'm not saying it's going to be the same for everyone, but it works. You got to make a start. And hundred percent, mate. See what happens. And I'm thankful to you guys, obviously, for the opportunity. And like I said, you know, if it weren't for that sequence of events, then I might not be here chatting a about this, but secondly, having the options that I've got now. So a big thanks to you guys. Nice. Well, one. I appreciate that, bud. Yeah. Man. Cool. Yeah, thank you for coming on the podcast, bud. I, I appreciate it. There's a great point to end it. You've got an incredible story, mate. I'll be honest. It's a, it's fantastic. Um, and, you know, it's just, it's just, again, proof in the pudding. It's, you know, you can do anything. You just got to go out there, chase your dreams and, you know, actually make them something. But other than that. And I'm 35, mate. So imagine, like I said, it's not too late. Like I'm, I'm almost uh, exactly. OAP 100%. compared to most of the community now. Yeah, so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I'll definitely start sooner rather than later, guys. Yeah, for sure. Let's crack on. Yeah, Amazing, but anyway, mate. thank you, guys. Yeah, appreciate it. It's been cracking. Nice one, lads. Thank you. Until next time. Yes.